0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE. Hello friends, welcome to the Mosaic Life Podcast. The Mosaic Life Podcast is a podcast on happiness, and it aims to explore why so many of us chase it, and yet we never seem to find it. My name is Trey Kaufman. If you find value in this particular episode or you have found value in any other episode of the podcast, I would greatly appreciate your support. And you can do that in a number of different ways, the easiest of which is pressing the subscribe button to be notified of when new episodes come out every Sunday. And if you really enjoy this episode or any other episode, sharing the podcast with your friends, your family, your coworkers is a great way to help me as a podcaster. Be sure to tag me at Trey Kaufman on Instagram, and you can tag the podcast on Facebook. Just search for The Mosaic Life Podcast. Over the last several months, I've mentioned on a handful of occasions that I've made it a pursuit of... To optimize and systematize all areas of my life. I've realized, to me, living a life that is more predictable and honestly simpler has been my true path toward my personal version of happiness. Ask me, ask me that five years ago and I would have said you're crazy because I thought I was all about that spontaneous life, but looking back, it makes me cringe thinking about the financial stress I was putting on myself and now i've found myself at a point in my own life where my finances are kind of the final frontier there are certain areas where i know i need to do better which is why i can appreciate the timing and seeming serendipity of meeting christina when i did And also full disclosure, following recording this conversation, I did decide to enroll in Christina's Curbs program, a part of Sovereign Academy. I'm only through the first week. However, if you hear this conversation and you'd like to know my experiences with it, please feel free to reach out. Christina Wise is a real estate mogul, millionaire coach, and creator of several multi-million dollar businesses, including Good Life Luxury, the paperless agent, and wealthy wealthy. She is an international speaker and author of the Amazon bestseller, Falling for Money, a romance novel for your bank account. Named one of the 100 most influential real estate leaders in the country, she has been featured in USA Today, as well as by Apple, Contactually, and Evernote for her creative leadership with emerging technologies. I'm really excited to share this conversation for a number of reasons. But the most obvious is to nudge back on the old saying that money doesn't buy happiness. In fact, I bring that up at the start of our conversation, and what Christina says in response was an aha moment for me. Please welcome my friend, Christina Wise. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm so good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm doing well. I really appreciate uh, you getting on the call and doing this with me. It's it's a pleasure to talk.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for yeah. putting this together. I'm excited.
0: Absolutely. Remind me, what part of the country you're in. I know we talked about it before, but I can't remember.
1: I can't either. I can't remember where you are. I'm in Austin.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I uh, I'm in Columbus, Ohio.
1: That's right. Yeah,
0: so it's—I'm uh, sure it's warmer there than it is here. But we are starting to starting to warm up, and the the trees are starting to bud, which bud, which makes me so happy.
1: It's, it's such a big difference to the to the happiness factor since we're talking about happiness.
0: I know, I know, and that actually—I mean—that's really a great way to to kick this off. I've been thinking in the last few days, just kind of preparing my headspace for this conversation. You know how. How it's going to go, and I don't generally like to over prepare, but uh, you know when we talk about money and we talk about happiness, you know the old maxim is money doesn't buy happiness, but I think to a certain extent we can you know really feel or we can really make the argument that is it's a very generalized statement. and I, I know the conversation we're about to get into is going to really dig deep in some of those motivations. So I just, I guess, you know, right off the bat, what is that when somebody says something like that to you, what's that? What's your first reaction?
1: Well, my first reaction to say to that is, is lack of money doesn't bring happiness either. True. So there's more of the equation and I mean, there's some truth to it, but it doesn't mean it's a truth. Right. And money can bring a lot of joy and happiness, but that statement means it's not a guarantee that it brings happiness. You know, yeah. in many cases, more money can create more problems, more destruction, more arguments, more greed, more conflict. Yeah. So it can be either or. We get to choose which one it is, but just to make a blanket statement that money doesn't buy happiness and live by that as a tenant, you know, yeah, uh, just means you're not going to have probably enough money to live the life that you deem is a good life.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, you know, again, as part of getting ready for the conversation, I started to really think back about my, uh, relationship with money. I, you know, I grew up in pretty much as suburban middle-class as I could. My, my dad always did very well, but you know, I, I think he kept a sense of, um, Oh shoot! Of uh, of modesty uh, with with our family, we lived you know in a you know three bedroom house with three kids, and had you know friends in the in the same situations, and it was just it's I for whatever reason I in my twenties when I felt like I was a little bit contrarian, I, I kind of resented that, and I thought, oh, I don't need money to be happy. I I can I can live in squalor and you know do everything that the the famous you know beat poets and writers of the early twentieth century did, and just you know feel good, but. Now in my thirties, I realized that you know what, there are certain things that money does allow me to explore. Like it allows me to pursue my passions, like mountain biking and and go in and travel. And that those things, those experiences are what really drive that.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot there. And I love having this type of conversation because the way I teach money, like there's these different categories of money. And when you understand the categories, you approach it differently. But we're not aware that money has different categories and roles. And so it's just all mushed together and, and it's just one thing. And so it gets a little confusing. And what I mean by that is there's there's kind of truth to both sides from my point of view, and so, on a month-to-month basis, let's say, yeah. I really keep what I call my burn rate, my monthly burn rate, really tight. And you know, and what I mean by burn, it means those automatic payments that go out. You know, right. your mortgage, your insurance, your car payments, your credit card payments, your utilities, your groceries. You know, the, your gas, your auto insurance. You know, there's certain things that you get you locked into what I call that monthly burn. Now, when you add a lot of debt to your life through payments, so you have one or two car payments, you know, you're in your 30s and you're starting to maybe think of getting married or having a family and now it went from one car payment to two car payments and now it went from rent to a mortgage and now you need some furniture to fill the new house so you put it on a credit card because the cash isn't there. And, you know, and that just becomes really a habitual lifestyle because what happens, as long as you bring in enough income, To pay those monthly payments then it looks like you're doing okay right and that's where it gets a little confusing like is that happiness to have you know what the joneses is having and having this really expensive monthly lifestyle that looks like everybody else's and it's just that that expense creeps up over time as our income increases and our life expands so does that monthly burn and that's usually what gets us in trouble because it's usually through debt payments and so every time we take on new debt it increases the cost of our lifestyle because not only is it the cost of that consumable itself but it's the interest you're paying to borrow to buy it yeah so you're 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 really paying twice for these different things what that does it expands the cost of of how much it costs to live your life on a monthly basis yeah so that's one thing and so we can confuse and oh i have to i you know happiness means to fit in i need i need the mercedes and the bmw and i need i need this expensive house and i need to be on a certain vacation with my certain friends and so again that's what's the monthly burn now what i teach is is really if you everything's based on everybody's life experience and what a good life is to them but my approach is keep my monthly burn pretty tight in the sense of i am very happy I'm happy no matter where I take Christina. So I'm happy in my little 1,500 square foot bungalow in Austin, and I'm just as happy here as I was in my 4,200 square foot multi-million dollar estate home. Yeah, um, you know that I moved out of and, and leased out to other people last December because so I just want to change my lifestyle a little bit. So the thing is, is like happiness. We are happiness or not happiness. We take our happy selves or our lack of happy selves with us everywhere. And we can't buy ourselves out of a funk, you know, right. or you know, out of a, an unhappy state or if we're just unhappy people. That's where kind of money doesn't buy happiness, where that slogan can, can you know, be true. But that's just it. It's like, I'm happy no matter what. In fact, I'm kind of, ha- I'm actually happier It's like, oh, my God, I just got rid of so much heaviness. That big old house, even though it was paid off, it was expensive to maintain and so much harder to clean. And then I had to do the lawn and take care of the pool. And, oh, my God, like my life was just taking care of that damn house. Right. And so my point is that, you know, I just thought, oh, it's COVID. I'm really going to reduce my burn rate and, and even make those things, you know, make life even more simpler and easier and get rid of even more cost, if you will. So that's the monthly burn that the point is that I think for most of us, we don't need a month to month lifestyle that's uber expensive. You know, that's what gets us in trouble. And that's what robs us of our ability to build wealth, because there's this thing called Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law says that expenses will always rise to match income. So that means with every pay raise comes that next, you know, that's the expense creep. Our expenses go up to match that pay raise. Cause when we go to fifty thousand dollars out of college to now we're making a hundred, we don't stay driving the same car or in the same apartment or anything. We co- we increase the lifestyle to be a hundred thousand dollar lifestyle cost.
0: Yeah.
1: So that's what happens there. So the only way to build wealth is on the margins. And that means that we can't let Parkinson's law take effect. We have to have a margin between what we make and what we spend. And anyway, that's that's a different conversation. But my point is that we also have to have an additional um, additional um, margin for what I call happiness expenses. Yeah. And it is through cash and savings where we don't spend all of our money on that monthly burn every single month. But we have a little extra that we just put into, let's say, our happiness account and we let that grow. We just take a little bit out of every monthly paycheck or however we pay ourselves as entrepreneurs and you let that grow. And what's great, what I found to be true for myself and others that I teach that really just to this type of, of lifestyle, you know, movies, how to spend your money in your life is it's like month to month, you know, you have a few little extravagances or what I call little luxuries here. Like, you know, maybe a couple of nights out to nice restaurant, a couple nights a month versus once or twice a week, and those different things that add up. But then when you just get used to that, hey, this is life as normal. now I've been waiting for that brand new mountain bike that is coming out. And it just has all the latest gear and technology. It's going to just amp up my racing. And man, I just, I'm almost there just a little bit, just a couple more months of savings. And I can buy that thing for cash. And I am just so excited. I cannot wait for the moment that I get to put that thing on the dirt, you know? Yes. So now that's where money buys happiness because now you're buying something that's important to you that has meaning. It's not just this monthly burn that you get used to and you've saved for it, you know, just through over time. And this, this purchase brings you a lot of happiness. Yeah. And so that, you know what I mean? And so many categories of life of what's meaningful to you to be on your bike and be outdoors and be racing and, and be able to afford this latest equipment and, you know, that you've earned because you've actually, you know, put the money aside to do this. Yeah. So that's what we do when we don't spend all of our monthly Um, all of our monthly income on, like I just say, the expensive life burn rate. We have extra to build wealth and we save extra for those happiness purchases. And then those big novelties, again, they have meaning. It's just not something we get used to every single month. And it brings a lot of joy or that ski trip you've been waiting to go on, you know, and you get to go with your buddies. And again, you've been getting those waiting for those new skis or just the trip itself. And you'll remember that for a lifetime. And you didn't have to put it on a credit card to do it, which you know is fun while you're on the trip. But then you have to deal with the payments when you get back. Right. So it's just it's just an adjustment, a way to think about how to spend your money.
0: Yeah, I, I everything you just said, I, I love it. It makes perfect sense, and I, I, I there's so much to dig into. But the first one I really want to talk about is the burn rate. Because, you know, when, when I hear that, I think I think tech, I think Silicon Valley, you hear about, you know, how much, uh, uh, how much runway they have, you know, what their monthly burn rate is, you know, how much runway do they have left before they, you know, go belly up. But you also talk about um, treating your household finances like a business, so it sounds like you're able to bring that burn rate into the household, and it's not just, it's no longer just a business term, it's also a family term or, or a household term. I, I, I mean, talk to me about treating your household finances like a business you're you're not the first person i've spoken with that has, has done just that and it just seems to make perfect sense to be able to manage your money better
1: yeah it's just it's because the if we look at business for any entrepreneurs or business owners that are listening Many of whom that don't manage their money in their books and just give it to their CPAs and bookkeepers and just focus on the top line. and they're not managing the money of the business, and they're kind of afraid to look at it. and they're just focused on how do we sell more widgets to bring in more top line revenue. But kind of there's a couple of takeaways when it's in our business. Yeah. First of all, the job of a CEO or owner of a business, our number one job is to create sustainable profit is to is to is to build a profitable company that has sustainable bottom line that is predictable. Yeah. If we're not doing that, we've just not gotten you know an A and how to run a business yet, right? <laughs> so that's the big thing. So most of business is all focused on top line, like how to go from six figures to seven figures to eight figures. Like that's the you know like that's the goal. But I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I work with, that they're just in the grind and they're tired and they went off the hamster wheel and they just have to go hit those numbers again and again and again and there's no relief and they don't understand why. And it's really because they're, I mean, they're just, they're focused on top line and not bottom line. Many of them are barely paying themselves, just focusing on someday in the future when it's all going to come together. Right. And, you know, business doesn't work like that. So Again, our job as a business owner is to know how much profit that we need to generate out of this business. <laughs> that's what we're what ultimately we're going to pay ourselves, like how much money is enough, and focus on the business strategy and become a really good business owner that creates that type of business structure and system that throws out that type of profit, you know. And then we're, you know, we're kind of a cog in the that business wheel, so to speak. So that's that piece. But the point is that in your business. You're again, you're not a business owner if you're not looking at every expense, you know, as a small business owner in this case, yeah. every expense, every piece of revenue, every piece of cost to sale. Where, how's my profit? If you've lent money to the company, it has to be on the books. You're pulling your cash flow, you're pulling your balance, your PL every single month, and you're looking at your balance sheet. How many receivables do we have? Do we have any payables? And that's your job as the business owners to make business decisions according to how the finances are looking. Versus just being on autopilot thinking it's going to work out at the end, which right. is what many do and it typically doesn't. So that's that. But most, mostly the the financial statement that we're pulling in a business is our profit and loss and then kind of balance, you know, making sure it matches up with the balance sheet and looking, you know, 60 to 90s out and just and making sure that we're following that. And to your point, there are certain things we're looking at, especially as a newer business, but what is the runway? How many months do we have? You know, if we're, if we're, net zero for in the red and not in the black right. and then, you know, and do we need any capital infusions? How much of capital are we going to need? And where's that capital going to come from? How are we going to pay it back? That's a very typical question we're asking. And then, you know, we're looking at like, um, like the profitability that we're talking about. So, you know, you're just watching your numbers now that's, that's, you know, there's some small business entrepreneurs who do that really well, and others that aren't doing it so the first takeaway if you're not doing it <laughs> um that's something we'd want to change but yeah. let's pretend now those that i work with that actually do do their books what's interesting is even though they're very um they're very much into their business books and following the money they don't do it for the household yeah they just put money in their household and now it's a free-for-all <laughs> and so here's a myth the myth is there's a couple of money myths that i like to point out one is that that the answer to all my money problems is to make more money, especially for entrepreneurs, because we have some influence over how much money we make. Right. And so, and it's just true. It's, it's false. The The answer to all my money problems isn't to make more money, more money in many cases means more problems and more top line doesn't mean more bottom line. It just means more headaches, more stress, probably more risk and so on and so forth. So again, it's, it's to understand that no, it's not, it's not making more money that, that reduces my financial stress. It's creating more wealth. And money slash income is different than wealth. Yeah. So we think that if we just build this big, successful business, we're gonna be wealthy. Myth number two, false. <laughs> Again, you can have a big business and be you know just working yourself in the ground, paying yourself enough or not, but that doesn't mean you have any wealth. It just means you, you have a, a business that's a good, good income maker. So. Your business to think of, your business is separate than yourself and its main job is to make you as much profit as possible because profit is what you pay yourself. That's your personal income that you move from your business account to your personal account. Now your personal household account, and now to answer your question, Is we want to think the same way as a business so i teach like think of your household as a business is business number two business number one is your income making business called your business business and your household business is your wealth creating business you create wealth through household finance not through business finance and nobody knows that and that's what keeps entrepreneurs stuck in the grind where they get burned out they don't understand why you know, they're still just grinding it out month over month, year over year. It's because they there's this misconception and this kind of subconscious belief that if I just work hard at this business, it's going to turn everything out for me. Yeah. So that's just yeah. it. Now, with personal finance, when we run as a business, you know, people that go through my money school and do the methodology that I teach – you're running profit and losses for your household every single month, and you're creating profit, and you take profit off top. So it's pay yourself first, profit first model, and that's the amount that that, that margin I'm talking about that you're going to pull out immediately and put towards your bucket for wealth creation outside of your business. So your household has runs both a profit and loss and a balance sheet. Your net worth is on your personal balance sheet your business might be a little piece of pie chart, you know, piece of the pie of the net worth that has some asset value. But in most cases, that's not true. So the only way what wealth is, is wealth is net worth. It's asset value that is reflected on your personal balance sheet. And it's and what assets are is assets are anything that actually create income. And so that's what we're looking. So we looking at over time where if you think of that, that balance sheet as a pie with little pieces of the pie, we're just over our career, working career, business career, 10, 20, 30 years, however long you know, our career lasts, and over time, we're just slowly built. We start with an empty pie pan, and slowly over that period of time, we're going to build out that pie with different slices of wealth, right. different assets, and each one of those assets, ultimately, the goal is that it's going to throw up income. With how we win the money game and the wealth game, and create that thing that you know that elusive term that everybody wants but doesn't really know what it is financial freedom what i call um sovereignty financial sovereignty it means all those pieces of the pie cumulatively that we've been building over the life of our business career that by you know investing that margin that i'm talking about that all of a sudden that throws off enough money cash flow or money That's as much or more than our business or or, our working income that we've been been making over the next years. And now we don't have to go to work anymore. It's our choice. And as we're building that over time, the more pieces, the pie we have in that pie chart, the more we're relaxed, the more financial security we feel, the more space we feel, the more we're off the edge, the more we just, you know, we know we're on track and things are going to be just fine financially. It reduces so much more, you know, just anxiety and conflict and, and fear that rests really deep inside when we're on that month to month cycle. Yeah. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, it's to think of running our household finance as a wealth creating business.
0: That's so important. I, I know I've been guilty of this myself, but you, especially nowadays when you can get subscription services, just renewed month after month, just- There, it seems to be a mentality of ignorance is bliss. I mean, don't look at your credit card statement and nothing bad can happen. But you really need to pay attention to the five or ten dollars that's getting pulled out every single month because that starts to add up so so quickly. And if we don't know that, then we're going to find ourselves in 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 a situation where it's it's difficult to resolve. And when you talk about Parkinson's law or lifestyle creep, as I've heard it referred to before, it just, it's so easy. You know, you're making more money. So, Hey, it's okay. I can, I can treat myself a little bit more. I, I that's something that I've personally been guilty of myself. And it's something that I try to remain cognizant of, you know, every, not only every day, but every month.
1: Yeah. There's two points there. So you make a great point and it's so that—that that is that lifestyle of that expense creep. It's like, Oh, I'm making more money. I'm working hard. There's no big deal to, you know, I already have, Amazon Prime, and I pay for Netflix. I might as well get YouTube TV, right. and you know you can do that and just Spotify, and why well, you might as well do Pandora too, because they don't have the same stations as Spotify. And next thing you know, you know those monthly payments, those subscriptions, besides just your credit card payment interest payments, the subscription payments, you add those together, and the statistics show that thirty three percent of of a majority of Americans of their income goes towards debt payments that means one third of their income off the top is going to pay back just interest. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't build wealth and have a third of your income go to pay interest. It's, I mean, they are mutually exclusive and that's what we don't learn because there's no such thing as money school that we go to. So we're just oblivious. We just don't know how these, these forces are working against us, but they are. And the, It's a rigged game. The financial industry, the banks, the credit card, it's rigged. You can't win against them. They've got all the tricks of the trade. It's all manipulation. It's all psychological warfare. It's all really, you know, the consumptions based on triggering your dopamine receptors. You buy more and feel good for a second. And then they hide the way you pay things. And it's rigged. You're not going to win unless you're diligent and paying attention and not just ignorantly And not, you know, naively um, victim to these forces there. We all are until we learn or know enough to not, is my point. The force is that strong and it's just that big of an industry. So until if we're just kind of going along, you know, just naively, we're losing. So one, it's just the cost of, again, we're not creating that margin by just filling up our expenses month to month to match our income. But the second piece is we don't know the cost or the trade-off um, or the opportunity cost, the trade-off or just the cost cost of what all of those expenses mean. Yeah. So when when we're spending all of our monthly amount, you know, our monthly income on our lifestyle, again, nothing wrong with it, um, except as long as you know what you're doing and you know your numbers. So I did. I have this one example that is. Um, I have this one example that uh, in one of my presentations, it's a slide and it says something like, um, it says it's got a picture of a BMW on it. And then so you picture that you match the BMW. So now you're doing, you're making great money. You just got married, you know, double income, life looks good. And let's just pretend, you know, your your expenses are matching your income and it's a great lifestyle. It feels great. We're young, we're working hard, we got married. You know, all of our friends are buying BMWs. We're buying BMWs. So nothing wrong with that. Right. Except if you don't, as long as you know your numbers, there's nothing wrong with the BMW as long as you can afford it. But a lot of times it's like, oh, well, I want the brand new BMW and I want to lease it because so I want to get the latest one and I you know, wouldn't be able to afford the full payment. And so I'll just lease it and let's say it's $750 a month. And so we start there. And so there's another statistic is that people don't trade car for car. They trade car payment for car payment, right? Once one car is paid off, they're in getting the next loan, right? So if you look at 750 a month and just say for 40 years, let's say a family has at least one car payment of 750 because you know, dad, you know, husband has the car, then wife has the car. Now kids all get a car. And I can't even tell you the amount of monthly expense that goes to car payments
0: yeah.
1: in many families. But in this case, let's just say one car payment for 40 years, like over their entire life, they've just traded car payment for car payment, at least one. And so that's 750 If you do $750 a month times 40 years times 8% interest rates, that's $5 million. <laughs> So that car payment that kept you, that you paid for, so that's the exchange. Like, was it worth $5 million to have that brand new car for 40 years in one shape or form? Assuming you didn't save or invest, you know, you didn't have any other margins any other way. And then you get to decide. But again, it's the naivete and the ignorance and the illiteracy to understand how compound interest works. And the only way you get rich is time. And if you're not using time to let your money create money for you. That's what compound interest is, is that your money is creating money and it works harder and faster than you do 365 days a year, 24 seven a day. You can't work that way. Your money's going to perform your hardest work two to one easy. So if you're not using time to grow your wealth, 20 years later, you're still going to be paycheck to paycheck. And what's problem is once we start making money, we feel rich and we feel entitled to this not in a bad way because we feel like we've earned it. In many cases, we have. But it's just to understand that you have to know your numbers and manage your money and cash flow to make sure that all the numbers add up and are moving the direction you want them to move. That's now, right. if you're taking your 20% off the top, that margin, you're putting your wealth bucket, and then and you're you've got your plan and you know you're going to hit those future self-numbers and you want that $750 a month BMW payment go to town right go to town you you can't afford it because you're already you've already got your happiness bucket and your wealth bucket covered yeah. so now and so it doesn't mean the BMW is bad it just means that can you really afford it and what's the trade-off cost
0: yeah yeah absolutely so speaking of BMWs and and keeping up with the joneses as we mentioned earlier i'm i'm curious what your experience or observations rather have been Working with different generations, I, I've had a few conversations here, and that the American dream is changing; it's evolving, which I think, to a certain degree, is is probably true. Uh, you know, my, my parents they they wanted the the you know white picket fence, you know, happily married, you know, two and a half kids or whatever the number was, and. Um, we you've got the, the Gen Xers, you've got the millennials, you've got now you've got Gen Zers. We, it's probably just more visible, but now we see younger and younger people getting rich early and earlier through you know influencing uh, Instagram, YouTube. I don't know that's not my generation, but how have you seen money habits and wealth management change or evolve generation to uh, to generation?
1: Yeah, so you know the the baby boomers who are retiring now, they you know they were kind of right behind the you know the before that where there were pensions and right. and a lot of safety and you kept your job for 40 years and baby boomers might have had two or three jobs. But still they lots of 401k's and retirement plans and longevity and you know corporate and and so, you know, the boomers came and the statistics aren't good. They they really did overspend mostly on their children by getting into debt. So a lot yeah. of them are not retiring as early as they thought they would or they can't retire or they're just retiring on a lot less because they took on a lot of debt to to put their kids through college, you know, their two or three children. Yeah. But again, so that's that's the boomers. The Gen Xers then uh, are a little bit more confused because there was no longevity, but there was, but there wasn't all this tech and easy way to make money really quick. So hard, hard workers are the Gen Xers, and you know when I see, I, I work with, you know, I, I work with a, a majority of Gen Xers, and then I'd say you know then, then millennials, but you know the Gen Xers they just didn't save enough because because they there was no really longevity to the jobs and, but they, you know, were making money in their businesses, so on and so forth, but they just didn't know how to save and invest because it wasn't done for them. Like it was for the baby boomers, if that makes sense. So yeah. a lot of Xers have a lot of catching up to do now, but, and, but now the millennials, what you're saying there, you're there's, when you're saying a lot of wealth. And so this is something else that I, it's a very, it's a, it's a critical distinction. And again, with money, in, in my money school, how I teach money, we learn the nomenclature of money. We learn the distinctions, what the different words mean so we know exactly what we're dealing with. Because a lot of money words are conflated, like savings, and investings are the same thing. No, they're categorically different. Right. Income and wealth is the same thing. No, they're categorically different. So there's a lot of these terms that get conflated and confused. And so again, if you're confused, <laughs> it's probably not gonna work out the way you want it to. Right. But the income, Let's say what you're you know, I think what you're asking is like yeah a lot of these millennials they they're just making bank right like all sorts of money is that you know me as an Xer, I just you know that wasn't an opportunity you know I, I just like worked my ass off to grow everything I've grown and I'm just like how are they doing it like they're like making money like like out of nothing right yeah but again that's income so regardless of as if, if it's a boomer if it's an Xer, if it's a millennial However we've made our income is income. Yeah. The danger with some of the millennials is they're making money, and it seems pretty easy, is that they're developing really bad habits, thinking the money will never end, thinking that they're responsible for all this, and thinking they can just spend and live these very extravagant lifestyles without understanding how money operates. And they're not tracking it. And the part of the problem for some of the millennials is, is money is so easy to spend, (laughs) not just so easy to make, but so easy to spend. And you get rich based on how you spend, not on how much income you make. All wealth is created through through how you spend, not how you earn. How much you spend, not how much you earn. You can get wealth on little bits of income. You can be broke with high amounts of income. So that's another takeaway. You get rich based on how you spend, not on how you earn. Period. Mic drop. So with that, um, so with that is the millennials now they have Venmo and Apple pay and Google pay and all these, these are subscription services off their phone and they're going out to eat all the time. And they're, they're not looking at their money at all. They're just making money and living life like freely, right. Right. Without this kind of added responsibility and mom and dad took care of all the money, right. And put them through college and, and did everything. And now they're making it. So there's just a big hole for them. And so I have so much joy when millennials go through my program. And what's been happening lately that I love even more is these young women that are like between 28 and 34. And they're owning it. They're starting their businesses, they're getting good with their money. They're they've got their financial sovereign numbers, they're managing their expenses, their cash flow, these great attitudes, and they're just owning their money. And it's just, it just brings me so much joy to see young adults do this because the younger you start, the richer you'll be yeah. when you start at you know, 20 versus 30, you've got 10 years money, wealth is time. When you start at 30 versus 40, same thing. If you start at 25 versus 45, where a lot of people start hitting the wall and realizing like, wait a second, money's not working. Where's all that money I thought I'd have by now. So most people start, they're kind of figuring this out and hitting these walls at mid-40s. So when these millennials come and come through the program and learn this, dude, you can't not be wealthy by the end of especially these long lives that they're going to have with all the technology and everything. But you have to learn money. There's no shortcut.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, to, to go back to the very beginning of this particular part of our conversation, I appreciate you distinguishing between the terminology. It's something that I, I really appreciate in the sense that you know happiness is not joy is not pleasure is not contentment there are certain nuances in in those words and it's okay to be pedantic and I, I think that's so important when it comes to money so the fact that that you distinguish between those is is just it it it's very valuable for people to hear
1: yeah and it's just when you understand the money game and you want to play it and play it well and create wealth Here's the thing, it's a radically different strategy. There's yeah. different rules, it's a different strategies. It's not what everybody else is doing. Right. I mean, there's there's a reason why only 10% of the people have wealth and it's not because, you know, what many people think it is, it's because we've not learned what to do and how to play it. But right. when you learn the big wake up call, again, those that go through my money school, it's like, holy shit, why did I not know this? Is because we're not taught. There's no way of knowing unless we learn, because it brings a whole new awareness of, like, oh my God, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, and that's great if you're late twenties, you know, into your thirties. It's it's you know, it's really depressing and sad when you're late forties and starting to learn these things. So. Why didn't I know this? It's because we're not taught this. Right. I mean, life—money is a life skill that we're not taught.
0: No, we're—it's not taught in high school. It's not taught in middle school. No. I mean, it's not taught, It may be taught in college if you take that as an elective, but it's not something that is required learning for us. And it's ridiculous. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, you've mentioned this uh, a couple times now, and I'd like you to kind of elaborate on it if you if you can. Sovereignty number. What um wh- what is that?
1: Yeah, the sovereignty number. So I like the word sovereignty as opposed to financial freedom. You know, freedom is great. We all want freedom at the end of the day. But sovereignty just means and we can have sovereignty before we've actually created full financial freedom. And what financial freedom means, it means we're free. We have freed up our time through the sense that our assets pay for the cost of our lifestyle so we don't have to go churn it out every single day we can take the even if you know we can take the vacations we can not we can close our businesses if we wanted to and ultimately that's i think that's where everybody wants to go you know back in the day of pensions that's what it was meaning you worked for 40 years and then when you got your pension you got to quote unquote retire there's no retirement these days but back then retirement was a real thing it's based on the industrial age pension Pension uh, modality really kind of just that lifestyle. And so what that was, it meant like, okay, today I retire and I get that pension. And so that pension now is that income. So that's what, that's what traditional retirement meant. Now, things have changed. We're still talking about retirement. Some of these like industrial age concepts that just really aren't applicable anymore. It drives me nuts. But again, that's a separate conversation, but that's, we're really wanting to do the same thing. We need to create our own pension because there are no pensions that day when we quit working or don't want to work as hard and the money is just continues to come in through the assets. So that's what financial and then we get to choose what we do with our time. So if I'm working my ass off every single day, you know, year over year and let's say I'm making $250,000 that I'm paying myself. There's going to be some point where I don't want to work this hard anymore. And so That's So whatever your number is, whatever your financial freedom number is, it's really like how much money does it require to pay your monthly expenses for the lifestyle that's a good life for you? And you need to know that number if you've never done that work. I call it the good enough number, your financial freedom number of how much that is so that you can almost pinpoint not to the day, but certainly within a year or two of when you're going to hit that number, when your asset value and the cash flow dividends or throw off from that can replace your working income. So let's just pretend that I hit that number today. My assets now completely throw off my $5 million of assets, throw off $250,000 worth of income. Now I can say, you know what? I want, I love my business. I'm gonna keep playing the game and in it, but it's a choice. I don't have to, I'm out of the churn. I'm out of the hustle. Or I could say, you know what? I'm done with that business. I'm just going to live off my assets and do what I want to do. The money buys time and choice. That's what that money is because you don't have to go churn it out that day. And so that's financial freedom. Sovereignty just means confidence, understanding, knowing your numbers, knowing you're on track, what I call. um, Can I curse on your? Oh, absolutely. Go for it. (laughs) Um, I call it, there's two financial trajectories. One is that what I call the financially fucked trajectory. meaning you keep doing what you're doing and it's just, you're just gonna be in the churn forever. And there's gonna be a point where you're just, you're tired and wondering what went wrong. Or there's a financially free trajectory. So sovereignty means I am sovereign in my numbers. I'm whole, I'm complete, I'm confident, I understand. I can make choices. I know how the money operates. I know it works. I know I'm I'm heading that right direction. And so each year as we're growing toward, you are growing our sovereignty through our learning and how we place our money and how we flow it and cash it. Then we just feel more confident and less stress and feel and have that margin, have that surplus, because it's surplus. It's knowing you have that runway. It's knowing that you have wealth. <laughs> it's knowing that you know you've got extra monies to to buy some happiness that we're talking about. That's what relieves that anxiety, and there's most people are in constant financial stress and anxiety month after month, regardless of how much money they make. Especially when you throw, you know, the family dynamics in it.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I, yeah, I want to go back just a little bit when when it comes. I I never thought of retirement as kind of an antiquated uh, word that went away with or was is in the process of going away with uh, the boomer generation. That's that's a very interesting idea to me. And I, I was going to bring up a, a concept that, that I'm curious if you'd heard it's uh, the acronym is FIRE, Financial Independence Retire Early. It was, a, it was a community that I had actually found on Reddit, but, uh, you know, a group of probably millennials, or I guess a community rather, you know, build, build that wealth or income early so they can retire, you know, at, at 30. And that, to me, I, I don't I don't relish that idea. Um, I, I think I would be completely bored, and that's probably a, a topic for a different conversation. But I, I, how to, to you, it doesn't sound like you love the word at all, but how has the concept of, of retirement evolved or shifted for, for you or for the you know public vernacular over the last 10 or 15 years?
1: Yeah, again, I just I would I recommend to replace the word "free. For retirement yeah and i'm very aware of the fire and kind of the fire um um what do we call it just um it, it exploded and there's really great attributes to it so yeah. there's a um, but it's almost like live off rice and beans and just yes. just crank down expenses and don't live at all so you can retire early and i'm kind of like fuck that you know yeah. you we've got 20 years to do this like play the game earn money build a great business and just know if it's 10 or 20 whatever that time frame is but we don't know if we're going to live till tomorrow. You know, when people retire, men that retire at age like 65, their lifespan is yes. just when they fully retire and they're, let's say they had a business or a great corporate job, they die within five years. Yes. You know, so they, they sacrificed all that living and experience to quote unquote retire and then they die. And I had a near death experience a handful of years back. And what I learned on my deathbed was, man, I sacrificed so much because I was really in the wealth game and all these things and kind of hit these numbers early. And I I missed my life. And I had so much regret on my deathbed. It's like, man, I'm dying. I haven't even lived yet. And I had plenty of money to enjoy more aspects of life and meet more present and have more experiences. But I was just so gung-ho on hitting those numbers. And you don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. So it's this really fine line yeah. of living life today and making sure we're putting enough money away for our future self so we can live a good life tomorrow and it's that balancing act and to take the 20 years of time and build it slowly it's a long-term game like who wants to be retired at 30 really like you can but what's the point like just create more surplus and more more of that you know wiggle room and just more choice over time and and live good today I, i just what's the point of living off rice and beans it doesn't make sense to me
0: you are absolutely correct and i you know i at this point I'm beating a dead horse and I'm sure everybody in the world is tired of talking about it but the last year has been exceptionally difficult and you know of the many things that we learn is that we, we to your point we don't know if we're going to be alive tomorrow whether or not it's dying from uh, you know a, a disease or it's getting hit by a car we just don't know so if we're not enjoying the time that we have if we're not making the most of it which time being you know one of the few resources that is absolutely non renewable Renewable, there's there's just no point if we're not enjoying ourselves and if we're not putting ourselves in the best position to have happiness or to have wealth.
1: Absolutely. And that is part of why we work hard. So we can enjoy our life today. It's just don't spend all of it. Yeah. And put use money, use time on your side. I mean, that's the thing. And just know if it's 10, 20, 30 years. I mean, the younger you start, if you're on a year, 30-year plan, you're if you're making a high income. You have great income to use that 30 years to build wealth. And again, each year over year, when you're doing this, you create more expansion, you create more space, you, you're farther away from financial stress and anxiety, you know what you're building, you know, you're on track, that alleviates that tension, you know, and again, you're it's this balance of like, hey, I've got this really great lifestyle. And, and, you know, every time every year, your income goes up, you can increase your 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 lifestyle cost up a little bit too. Like enjoy it, but just don't match it. You know, with what I call the net zero, where people get in trouble due to Parkinson's law. No matter how much income they make, you know their their expenses are going up to completely match it. Yeah, that's the danger. So just know your margins and how much time you want to play the game. And again, you know, if you have thirty years, you can you can spend more on your lifestyle today. But if you're trying to crank it into you know. Five, you have to live on rice and beans because there's not enough time at play there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Somehow we're already coming up on an hour, and I want to be respectful of your time. But one last thing I want to bring up, and you hinted at this, uh, about your health scare. You talk about the intersection of wealth and health, and I'm wondering if you can I'll just elaborate a little bit on your experience with that, and you know how that plays out for the rest of us.
1: Well, that was a big, you know, awakening for me too. And an eye opener, you know, I've been in the wealth game for a long time, you know, everything that we're talking about, but what I did is I traded my health for wealth because I was so gung ho with just like constant stress and pressure and, and that lifestyle that was really unsustainable. And it, it it nearly killed me, like no joke. Right. And it was only through going through that experience of two years of trying to save my life and get my life back that I went on to realize in financial terms that my body is my number one asset. I can have all the money in the world. And if I can't get out of bed and if I'm in a hospital and nobody can figure out what's wrong and I'm, and there's no happiness when you're sick, I can promise you that, that, you know, regardless of how much money you have, you know, so I had to use all my wealth that I accumulated to, to get my health back. Thank God I had the wealth. Otherwise I wouldn't be here today. But the point is that it was just this awareness of like, Oh no, my body needs to be on my balance sheet so when i have my wealth creation bucket i actually have two buckets and i teach this in my programming that when we're creating we're shaving that money off the top for our wealth buckets we have our wealth bucket which is w-e-a-l-t-h that we're putting aside and that money is you know earmarked to invest in for long-term wealth then we have our second bucket which is our second wealth bucket it's our w-e-l-l-t-h bucket and we're shaving that money to invest back into our body back into ourself you know to take care because no healthy body, no happiness and and no life experience, because you know you can't go ride your mountain bike when you're in a hospital bed, right. So you know when that brings you so much joy, right? So it's just another thing is that you know as part of the fire movement too, healthy food and supplements, and just really spending money on self is a very integral part of this life journey. And if you're just cutting all that out and living, you know, if everything's pretty shitty, you might pay the consequence for that later on, like I did. So it's just to make sure that that we are, we can, we understand we are an asset. And you know, no, I couldn't work right. My my businesses deteriorated because I wasn't in them because I was out, <laughs> and so I wasn't earning money. I was just living off of what I'd already built. Thank goodness it was there, like I said before. But when your body's out, everything's out. Happiness, making money, opportunities—you know—plus all just the darkness and fear that you know yeah. comes with that. Yeah. So, again, the best asset we can invest in is is ourselves in this sense not just our mental capacity and in our business and our learning in that way, but just our physical well-being as well.
0: Yeah, I love I love the wealth versus wealth, and I know it doesn't. It really hits when you say it out loud, but I just wrote it down, W-E-A-L-T-H and W-E-L-L-T-H, and that's a very, very good and poignant reminder that we, we do need to take care of ourselves, and I, I I'm, that's something I'm going to peg up on my monitor because I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, I did want to ask, you mentioned Profit First earlier. Um, I had not read this book. I read his book, The Pumpkin Plan, Mike McCallowick's. I think it is. Um, Is, is Profit First a, a book that you would recommend on this subject or is that not something you've read?
1: Profit First is great. And I know Mike and I've interviewed Mike on my podcast. And so it's just kind of funny story since you asked is uh, I, I, I got him on my podcast and we we're talking and we realized like, oh my gosh, like, so what he does is he teaches profit first is, is like a mindset and like how you manage your money through your business Right from this, you know, you understand, like I said, it's all profit and you start with profit and then you gauge your expenses off, off of that. And then determine how much revenue you need to make to make sure you hit that profit first number. So all of the bucketing and everything, his complete methodology that he teaches for business, I teach the exact same methodology for household business. And so we just got such a kick out of each other because we're like, oh my God, you did it for business and I did it for household. Like now we just need to merge these two together. I actually teach it for business too in a separate program. But the idea of profit first is just that: is to understand is like, how much do you need to pay yourself? and now reverse engineer your monthly business burn and then from there on, add that on top of your profit and that's how much revenue you generate and then same thing for household is that we're determining profit first how much profit are we going to shave off the top of you know first like if it's you know is it 20,000 a year that i need to do you know and what is that off of every monthly or how i pay myself so the idea of profit first in your household same concept. It's just, we're looking for profit first. Profit is the name of the game. Profit in your business and profit in your household.
0: I love that. And I love that. And I um, I actually would love to, I'll put the link to that episode of, of you and Mike in the show notes, if, if that's okay with you. Yeah, of course. Perfect. Well, Christina, this has been a uh, I don't want to sound like a hyperbole, but this has been a mind blowing conversation. I've got a list of about 10 other things I would love to ask you, so I'd love to have you back at some point in time. Um, but I, uh, I have a couple closing questions I would love to ask. And uh, again, thank you so much for doing this. It's been an absolute delight learning and, and talking with you. Um, one of the. Uh, one thing I like to do, I like this to be as beneficial for my guests as I possibly can. This is a, this is something that I, I use to grow for myself as well as for the people who take time to spend with me. So I'm, I, I, the, the that is not lost to me. So I always like to ask, if there's somebody listening out in Wyoming or wherever, and they hear this and it really resonates with them, my question to you is, what are you looking for to grow? If somebody out there can lend a resource to you, and it helps you grow, what would that be?
1: Oh, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a loaded question. So I think, you know, one of my mantras is either you're becoming or becoming old. And so just any type of growth is just a natural part of everything that I do. But, you know, just personally, since you asked, my next area of growth is really relationships. I just wanted, I um, my next intention is to create a really healthy partnership and romantic relationship. And so I'm in just that growth of learning and, and what, you know, I need to do and who I need to become to, to bring my best self to that table. So I'd say that's my biggest area of personal growth right now outside of my continuous spiritual and business growth.
0: That's fantastic. I love that. All right. Next question. And your answer comes as no surprise to me whatsoever, but I'm excited to hear it. You know, books are such a major influence on my own life. And since the beginning of this podcast, I've been asking this question, if you could credit one book with changing your life, what would that book be and why?
1: You know, there's probably a few different, you know, just I'd say a few different ones. You know, one, of course, always is Think and Grow Rich. You know, it's just it's a timeless book. The principles in there are so profound. And, you know, you can read it a hundred times and pick up something every single time. And that's an annual read for me. So think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill. There's also his book that's called outwitting the devil that many people haven't heard about. And it's just such a good book and such an interesting story. And so that one just really resonates and, that's something I recommend. There's another one called The Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino. And that's just such a great principle. These are timeless principles. When we understand timeless principles, that means they're timeless. And yeah. we just learn these things and we live by them. It can change our life. And so that has so many just timeless principles about money and time and, and business and just so many um, spiritual aspects in there as well. And then one of my all-time favorites is Atlas Shrugged by Ann Rand. Um, and so... I'd say those would be my tops.
0: That's fantastic. You know, I I have read some of and I can never Ayn Rand um, and I am trying to remember which one it was and I know there's there seems to be a lot of controversy behind her philosophies which I believe is objectivism so I don't know a whole lot about it but I would like to read more of her work so I, it's always exciting to hear people who have you know read her 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 books and have just had you know because every time somebody mentions them that it's been such a profound impact on their lives so I'm curious about that
1: yeah, choose one mile times. I mean, I read all these books just starting in my twenties and they just really shaped my philosophy, my points of view, giving me, you know, ways of just critical thinking and and way to just different lenses to see through. And again, they've been timeless and they've served me really well.
0: That's so important. I love hearing that. Well again, Christina, thank you so incredibly much for, for taking the time out of your day to to talk with me. If people would like to contact you, reach out to you learn more about your your program, what is the best way for them to do so? How can they how can they find you?
1: You know, my my money school, if anybody's interested, is called sovereigntyacademy.com. And that's a great place. Just go in, just if you're interested in and in getting just a little of this money school to erase that naivete and ignorance that we all have. It's just very simple to go through that and learn these these the life skill of money. Let's call it that. Everything you should we should have learned in school about money, but they didn't offer that class. And then um, if anybody likes to, if anybody just wants like a money breakthrough call, it's I, I offer those. They're free. They're 45 minutes. I just listen. I see if there's anything any advice I can offer or if there's anything I I offer that can help go from one trajectory that to the other that we've talked about. Um, that's just Christina.com forward slash call if anybody wants to do that. Otherwise, um the final place is just go to Christina.com at kn S's. and I have a free copy of my book and some other free downloads and some goodies that's some really great starting material.
0: That's fantastic. And I love I love that you were able to get Christina.com. I'm a little bit envious of that.
1: <laughs> yeah I know I, I got it early obviously
0: that's fantastic well again thank you so incredibly much I, I can't wait to talk again and uh, thank you just so much for everything that you're lending to the world your message is extremely important so again Christina thank you
1: well you're welcome and and ditto to you your work is, is so important and I love what you're doing so it's an honor to be here
0: One more time, I would like to extend a huge thank you to Christina for joining me on the podcast. Please be sure to check out the show notes in your podcast players or at themosaiclifepodcast.com. You can find all of Christina's information. Be sure to follow her on social media and take her up on her offer for her free 45-minute call. That's what she and I did after recording, and it was a great conversation and just eye-opening to realize where I can do better in my personal and business finances. Again, over the next several weeks, if you have any questions about my experiences working with Christina, don't hesitate to reach out and I'd be more than happy to share those with you. And of course, I want to extend a huge thank you to you for taking time out of your day and your week to listen to the podcast. It means the world to me and I hope you'll keep coming back week after week. If you would like more Mosaic Life podcast content in your life, you can follow me on Instagram at Trey Kaufman. You can find the podcast on Facebook by searching for The Mosaic Life Podcast and you can sign up for the Mosaic Life Podcast Circle newsletter by going to themosaiclifepodcast.com. Thank you all again and until next time, take care.